BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, friends, thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And we want to make sure that you know about all the other exciting ways to get more exclusive content from The Bill Press Show. We're on Patreon. Did you know that? On Patreon. So to go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash BP show to get videos that nobody else gets. All we ask is five bucks a month and you get access to daily commentary. And every week we put up a special interview just for our Patreon subscribers. Hey, it's a great way to support progressive media and get your hands on some fun, new, exclusive content. Thanks so much for supporting the show by going to patreon.com slash BP show. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Yes, indeed. Can you believe it? Paul Ryan has now fired his own priest. <laughs> Burned in hell for that. What do you say? Hello, everybody. It is Monday, April 30. How about it? Hope you had a great weekend uh, here in Washington, D.C. Um, those of us who are in the field of journalism are kind of worn out today after uh, the big party weekend, uh, the White House Correspondents' Dinner Saturday night, and all the parties Thursday night and Friday night and Saturday night and Sunday surrounding the dinner, uh, which we affectionately call our nerd prom. This year's dinner um, made a little more news than usual um, after Michelle Wolf's performance uh, Saturday night and all the criticism about it and all those who defended her. Uh, criticism starting with the President of the United States. We'll get into that and a whole lot more here today, uh, including the latest on North Korea. Yes, uh, the big flap in the House over Paul Ryan firing the Jesuit priest who's been the chaplain of the House for the last seven years, and Donald Trump saying he's willing to shut the country down if he doesn't get his damn wall. Oh, lots to talk about. So if you relaxed over the weekend, get ready for a full tilt boogie here for the next two hours. The Bill Press Show coming to you live from Washington, D.C. All the news of the day. We will jump right into it. Get your comments on Twitter, as always, at BP Show, at BP Show. Show, sorry. But first... This is the Full Court Press. All right, just a couple of other stories making news. For those of you that aren't watching the show, you can't see that Bill is wearing his Thor costume today. And I have to say... Yes, for, for the Avengers. For the Avengers. Yes. I'm sure you saw the Infinity War movie uh, over the weekend. Uh, if you didn't see it, um, well, they don't really need your money. They made a lot of Boy, money over the weekend. Yeah, Here yeah. are the numbers. They opened with a $250 million domestic opening. But they brought in $630 million worldwide. 
That is a lot of money. In fact, uh, it is two different records. The biggest domestic opening ever and the biggest worldwide opening ever. It beat Star Wars The Force Awakens, which was set, uh, that record was set back in December of 2015 when it brought in $247.9 million. Again, Avengers bringing in $250 million domestically. I'm, I'm going to guess you didn't see it. Uh, I didn't see it. I was busy partying over the weekend. But anyhow, I'm not going to see it. I mean... No, it's not It's not for you. Movies have become co- comic books, right? Or comic books have, have become, become movies. movies both ways. Yeah, I get right. it. Yeah, you're right. Right. By the way, did you see there was some theater in New York where they played every yeah. Marvel movie yeah. uh, ahead of time leading up to the Avengers? It so was like... 48 hours of binging. It's so. I think there were like the 18. I think there were like 18 Marvel yeah. movies. They played them back to, to back, back to back. People were sleeping there. Yeah. I mean, the whole thing. No, I don't think Weird. I need that. I don't think Weird. I need that in my yeah. life. But I have kids, so of course I saw it. So, like, we went inside. Um, so, anyway. And? I liked it. Okay. That's, there's my review. That's I liked a big it. kid. <laughs> yeah, I'm a big kid. I liked it. Uh, in other big uh, news, T-Mobile and Sprint announced that they are going to be merging. Now, this has been something that's been going on. Uh, the talk has been going on for a little while, but it's finally going to happen, it looks like. You don't use T-Mobile or Sprint, do you? Nope. You, so this probably won't affect you at all. But this has been going on, like, negotiations have been going on for, for yeah. quite some time, so it looks like this is finally going to happen. And one final story. This has got to be approved, but, you know. It's going to be approved. But it's the ATT Time Warner thing still hasn't been approved, so it's not automatic. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and the Department of the Interior has said that there will not be any more federal protections for grizzly bears in the Yellowstone Park area. Those are going to expire, and they are not going to renew them. They said that they don't really see a need to do that. So, more bad know. news out of the Trump administration, well, I guess? This, this will give Betsy... DeVos ammunition for having guns in schools. Have guns in schools because of those bear attacks. Those damn bears. <laughs> this is the Bill Press Show. Yes, indeed. Donald Trump now says if he doesn't get his wall, he's going to shut down the country. Yeah. Oh, a little overboard, don't you think? That's what he's told a crowd outside of Detroit uh, last Saturday night. Instead of going to the White House Correspondents' Dinner, having his own big event down there, he talked for an hour and 15 minutes. Oh, my God, just rambling on and on as he loves to do. What do you say, everybody? Happy Monday. It is Monday, April 30. Yep, here we are. End of the month of April which we celebrate with a lot of big news today coming out over the weekend on the North Korean front, on the House of Representatives and the Chaplain front, on the White House Correspondents' Dinner, on Donald Trump's remarks out in Detroit, and teachers walking out again in Arizona. We'll tell you more about that, why they're walking out now, because they got their 20% pay raise. Lots and lots to cover. Look forward to doing all of that over the next two hours with you and with our guest. You, the most important guest, as we reach you and join you online on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Joining you on Free Speech TV and also on the radio. On the radio out in on the great WCPT out in Chicago and statewide in Indiana on Indiana Talks. And don't forget... 
Uh, as Peter often reminds you, don't, check out our podcast. The podcast because, uh, you know, you get a little bit of the show in the morning, then you got to get out of the car or whatever, or you're not in the car before the show starts. You can check out the podcast later in the day. And when you get there, sign up for our podcast, rate and review, and sign up uh, and become a regular member of the Bill Press team so you will hear from us throughout uh, the day uh, with uh, all the uh, with updates and with new video and with exclusive stuff that you may not even hear uh, in the morning. So podcast, very, very important. Sign up for it. Yes. By the way, we did the, the, the podcast that went up over the weekend. If you want to see it, uh, we did the video with our friend Greg Engert from oh, yeah. uh, the Neighborhood Restaurant Group. Summer beers. Summer beers, warm weather beers. Uh, the video is up on our Patreon page, patreon.com slash BP show. But the podcast is up if you want to listen to it, uh, where Greg and I, uh, we got hammered last good, week. Good, good. just drank a bunch of beer on air. Good for you. Yeah. All right. So um, let's start with, it, you know, I've told you before, I really think Paul Ryan Republican or Democrat, I don't care. Paul Ryan is the worst, the the biggest joke, the least effective speaker that we've seen of the House of Representatives in our lifetime. I mean, the guy can't get anything done. Uh, no leadership, um, doesn't you know, no depth at all, uh, and just one bungle after another. But boy, he really stepped up to uh, stepped into it big time. Uh, it happened about a week ago, but we didn't. Nobody really learned about it until uh, late last week. It, what happened about a week ago is, everybody hears that the chaplain of the House of Representatives, Father Patrick Conroy, is leaving. So people think, oh, you know, he's been there seven years. He would be out by the end of the year anyway, that he's just sort of stepping down. Well, that's not the case. That's what people thought. And then Father Conroy gave a little, or Conroy rather, gave a little interview and uh, he has not done much media. He has not gone out and attacked Paul Ryan or anything. But he did say, I want to make it clear, I didn't choose to leave. I was told to leave. And that, man, really, really blew up in everybody's face uh, Thursday and Friday. Uh, and Paul Ryan, admittedly, had his chief of staff go to Father Conroy and said, the speaker wants you out. The speaker wants your resignation. Yes, devout Catholic, Paul Ryan, fires the House chaplain. Okay, now look, there's another discussion here, which I would love to have with you sometime, which is, why is there a chaplain in the first place? <laughs> I don't think there should be. I mean, come on. <coughs> Pardon me, if church, separation of church and state means anything, you don't start the meetings of the House of Representatives, the sessions of the House, with a prayer by anybody. So I would say, no chaplain. But this is a different issue. This is a chaplain who's on the job again, been there seven years, and Paul Ryan, devout Catholic, fires this Catholic priest. And why? Well, it turns out it looks like the main reason, they've given a lot of other fuzzy stuff, but the main reason is because... Back in November, when they were debating the tax bill, the priest started out a session of the House with a prayer saying, uh, let's pray that our tax bill that we come up with will be fair to all Americans and there won't be any winners and any losers or something to that effect. Oh, yeah. So the idea 
that the tax bill should be fair to all Americans is considered by Paul Ryan to be a heresy, to be political, to be anti-Donald Trump and anti-Paul Ryan. And for that reason, feeling the priest was getting too political, uh, he apparently fired him. It wasn't, by the way, Paul Ryan's case wasn't helped when another Republican, Mark Walker from North Carolina, he piped up and said, no, the reason we fired him. And by the way, Speaker's office sort of gave this a little credence when they said several people made this comment. But Mark Walker, who is a Baptist minister, in addition to being a member of Congress, said he thought it was good that he was fired because they needed somebody who understood more about having what it was like to have a wife and children, uh, which is really a slap at the Catholic priesthood, who, of course, priests are celibate and are not allowed to get married. Uh, and do great work in parishes counseling. Um, you know, I think priests, again, that's another conversation we'll have. I think priests should be allowed to get married, but they're not. And they still do a great, great job uh, counseling people and counseling families. Uh, and uh, at any rate, it has, I talked to a lot of members of Congress over the weekend at this, at the various White House correspondent dinners, me, uh, um, events. And I got to tell you, People are really pissed off about this, Republicans as well as Democrats. There was a motion, a resolution put on the floor Friday to have a complete investigation of what happened. Paul Ryan pulled out all the stops to block it. It failed. It got 215 votes. It failed by three votes short of having a a complete House investigation, which is the last thing that Paul Ryan wanted. But Republicans, as well as Democrats, are demanding answers, demanding answers. Uh, Here are just a couple of them. Um, Mo Brooks. So, again, Paul Ryan says, well, this guy wasn't uh, wasn't giving enough uh, spiritual advice and and wasn't available for counseling. wasn't doing enough to to fulfill his pastoral mission. Mo Brooks, Republican from Alabama, says news to me. I am unfamiliar with the chaplain's daily prayers being uh, so political uh, that anyone would take offense at them. I have not taken offense at them. And Peter King, Republican from New York, Catholic, Irish Catholic, says, what, what's going on? I think we, we deserve more of an explanation of why. Was there political pressure? Yeah, was there political pressure? We deserve an explanation. And uh, he even questions whether Paul Ryan is telling us the truth. The speaker said it was just because certain people felt he was not uh, uh, complying with their requests or was not giving good uh, counseling. I never heard that from anyone. Anyone I know who deals with him has the highest regard for him. That's my favorite part of this, by the way, is that Paul Ryan came out there and sort of threw everybody else under the bus for his decision. Yeah. And everybody else is going, no, 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 no. this was on you. We never complain. We never complain. Nobody, 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 Nobody has stood up to say, yes, this is a good thing to do the most Anybody has said uh, that I've heard are, well, it's the speaker's decision, by the way, which it is. But think about this. This is the first time a chaplain in the House of Representatives has ever been fired. There has been a chaplain in the House of Representatives since 1789. Okay, this is the first time a chaplain has been fired since 1789. Now, don't you think... If the first chaplain is fired in the last over 200 years, right, that there would have to be a damn good 
reason. He'd have to have done something really, really bad. You would think, right? Uh Uh-uh. No, just summarily, Paul Ryan. What a monumentally stupid thing to do. And again, the chaplain's term in office would have been out, would have been finished by the end of the year. So even if Paul Ryan wasn't happy with Father Conroy for whatever reason, he could just let it go. They're going to be on summer recess, right, for the next three months pretty soon anyhow, and then the midterms. Could have just let it go. No, instead he had to start this uh, start this mess. Uh, whoa. So at any rate, um, we'll see what happens on that. Republicans demanding answers. Republicans as upset almost as anybody else. Meanwhile, Donald Trump off in Michigan uh, over the weekend. Yeah, and he went all over the place um, in his remarks. So he had this, he did this last year too, had a campaign rally um, simultaneously, same time as a White House correspondence dinner. Didn't want to go to the dinner, so he wanted to sort of overshadow the dinner. Sort of like he, this is a something that, a trick that he pulls off. Remember during the campaign, he didn't want to go to one debate, so he had his own rally. That's the one where he famously claimed that he had given a million dollars to veterans organizations and the Washington Post looked into it and found out he hadn't given a dime. So he did that alternative event. Last year he had an alternative rally somewhere and said the White House Correspondents' Dinner. This year again in Michigan, um, went all over the place. Uh, first of all, he said, remember, uh, Ronnie Jackson um, withdrew his name from uh, consideration for Veterans Affairs Secretary after um, the Senate Senate Democrats on the Oversight Committee said, um, there are some problems here with Jackson that we've got to look into, and the chairman of the committee, Republican chairman, actually delayed the nomination for two weeks. John Tester was the leading Democrat. Donald Trump is vowing to get even with Tester for telling the truth about Ronnie Jackson. Well, I know things about Tester that I could say, too. Oh, yeah. Wonder what they are. Why don't you tell us, Donald Trump? You know. I mean, if there's anything we know about Trump is that if he had anything on Tester, he we would, would have know already, it. Yeah, he would have yeah. already said it. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What a smear campaign. And as far as Rodney Jackson goes, again, he defends him. The Secret Service told me just coming in, sir, we checked out all of those things. Sir, they're not true. They're not true. They say there is no record of uh, Ronnie Jackson wrecking an, a government car uh, while <laughs> while drunk, uh, or at least heavily into- heavily <laughs> after a night of heavy drinking at a going away party for a Secret Service agent retirement party. Um, let me tell you something: those records exist somewhere. I'm telling you, I I I totally believe that happened. After all the stories we heard from some 24 um, military and civilian uh, people who worked with Ronnie Jackson, multiple stories about heavy drinking on the job, particularly on foreign trips. Um, so um, the, the truth is going to come out about that. Uh, but, but when they say there's no record of an accident, I don't believe them. I don't believe them for a second. At any rate, uh, just an update on Ronnie Jackson uh, the White House over the weekend did confirm that he will not be returning to his job as White House physician. Oh, either. really? Oh, that was yes. the question we had, whether we had or not he'd be able to come back. Now it's official. He is not going to come back. So you just got to say, if he pulls his name out and he's no longer the White House physician, 
Don't you think? Don't you think maybe there is something there? Uh, and, of course, uh, Donald Trump could not help uh, out in Michigan. He could not help but... Um, uh, he, he could not help but make fun of the White House Correspondents' Dinner, saying, aren't you having a lot more fun here than you would have had at that dinner? Is this better than that phony Washington White House Correspondents' Dinner? Is this more fun? Okay, so let's get to the dinner. You probably have heard. All right, now, so I'm a member of the White House Correspondents' Association. So, in effect, this is my dinner. Is it, well, I'm part of the group that this was our dinner, I should say. Um, I was at the dinner. I took five guests to the dinner. Uh, what was the dinner like? Let me just put it this way. Two of my guests stormed out of the dinner. They were so offended by Michelle Wolf's um 19 minutes. I started to call it entertainment, but it, it was not very entertaining. It was pretty uncomfortable. Otherwise, the dinner was a great success. The dinner without Donald Trump was fine. There were a lot of members of Congress there. There were members of the administration there. Um, a lot of people criticize the dinner because they say journalists should never get chummy and and have a night out with the people that they're supposed to cover. I really disagree with that. Look, this is a long, long-standing tradition. Um, you don't have to be mortal enemies. I don't see any problem with having a drink with somebody once a year, having a drink or sitting down and having dinner and inviting the members of Congress or the members of the administration that you cover. I don't think that's selling out your principles at all. The, that's what the gridiron dinner is all about, uh, and that's what the White House Correspondents' Dinner is all about. And usually at those, there's, there are other dinners, a couple of other dinners like that too. And usually at those events, um, there are either you get a member of Congress, one Democrat and one Republican. There's a lot of self-deprecating humor, I guess is what I'm getting to. And usually, sometimes it's by members of the House or the Senate who poke fun at themselves and poke fun at each other. With the White House Correspondents' Dinner, it's you, remember, it's usually been the president. George W. Bush did it. Ronald Reagan did it. Uh, Bill Clinton did it. Barack Obama did it. Barack Obama was very good at it. Uh, and then they'd have a comedian sort of wrap things up who would poke fun at the Democrats, at the Republicans, at the members of the media who were there. Uh, and there's always sort of a rule. It's the official rule of the gridiron, but was really a rule that applied with the White House Correspondents Dinner, too, which was, which is, rather, that our humor will singe but not burned, that you come close to the line, but you don't cross the line. In my opinion, Michelle Wolf crossed the line in several ways. One, she was just really crude. I cannot repeat half of the jokes that she told because she used words that we're not allowed to say on the air. You get fined by the FCC if we said those words on the air. So do you really want them like in your living room, which is, or do you want them in your dining room, at your dining room table? Uh, and number two, she took a lot of pot shots at the media, which was fine. But she, I thought she took some unfair pot shots at a person for whom professionally I have little regard, White House press secretary. But she was our invited guest. She was sitting at the head table, and Michelle Wolf went out of her way to call her a liar. 
uh, and to make some other comments about it, which I, I just think were um, uncalled for, unnecessary. So what could have been in good humor came across. Instead, it was a rant. It was, I think, um, I, I found it crude, off-color, and mean-spirited. And the other thing, so, and a lot of people have criticized that and saying, but then others have said, well, this was a celebration of the First Amendment, and, you know, she's got the right under the First Amendment to say whatever she wants. You know what? Absolutely. I totally agree with that. I wouldn't want to censor her at all. But was this the right place for that? It's like the white supremacists in Charleston had a right to chant, the Jews will not replace us under the First Amendment. They got that right to chant that. But I don't want them chanting that at my dining room table, and I don't want them chanting that at the White House Correspondents' Dinner. So Michelle Wolf, she was at the Improv on Connecticut Avenue here in Washington, D.C. God bless her. Uh, at the White House Correspondents' Dinner, I thought some of the jokes were, uh, again, over the line. But some of them were good. She, she is, she can be very funny. I mean, I don't know what people we have, but she started out by about her routine. Good evening. Good evening. Here we are, the White House Correspondents' Dinner. Like a porn star says when she's about to have sex with a Trump, let's get this over with. <laughs> I, I thought that was a good start. Uh, it was very, I thought that was funny. She also talked about compared herself to members of Congress. Um, if, if we don't have that, I've got it here. Yeah, she said, um, I'm here to make jokes. I have no agenda. I'm not trying to get anything accomplished. So everybody who's here from Congress, you should feel right at home. Congressman Tim Ryan was one of my guests, not one of the ones who stormed out. Uh, he laughed. He thought that was, you know, that was funny. That was, that was fair. Right. Um, she went on, and um, I, I know we do have where um, she, uh, by the way, you expected jokes about Trump, and you expected jokes about members of the administration, too. Of course, they had to. You had to. Everybody in the room is fair game, again, as long as the jokes don't cross the line, which some of us did. But she also took some really good shots at the media and very well-deserved shots. Um, I want to build up to the uh, little sound that we have. But, for example, <clears throat> she said about CNN, um, CNN say they love to break news. Well, congratulations. You did it. You broke it. Good work. The most useful information on CNN is when Anthony Bourdain tells me where to eat noodles. <clears throat> I thought that was a good line, <laughs> right? Um, she went after uh, MSNBC, uh, including Rachel Maddow. She called Rachel Maddow the Peter Pan of MSNBC. Um, but instead of growing, of never growing up, she never gets to the point. Watching Rachel Maddow is like going to Target. You went in for milk, but you leave with shampoo, candles, and the entire history of the Byzantine Empire. Uh, you know, poking fun there. But then she got, she get, really got to the point where she said, come on, people, you know here, let's be honest. You say you hate Donald Trump, you really love Donald Trump because you're making so much money off him. You helped create this monster and now you're profiting off of him. And if you're going to profit off of Trump, you should at least give him some money because he doesn't have any. <laughs> right. Uh, she goes on to say, yeah, uh, he is helping all of you, and you are doing better because of him. You 
with Trump. Did you used to date him? Because you pretend like you hate him, but I think you love him. <laughs> and she did point out, right, uh, papers are selling, cable TV is selling across the board, uh, which I thought was a very uh, insightful thing to talk to say about the media uh, and, uh, and, and hit home, really did. And absolutely, absolutely right on target. Um, and finally, um, I love the fact that she went after, she said it looks good for Democrats, but um, you guys, she said, you Democrats, you always find a way to mess it up. She said it looks like Democrats could lose by 12 points to a guy named Joe Pedophile Nazi Doctor. Uh, so at that, if she kept at that level, yeah, it would have been fine. Uh, and you know what? We'll survive this. And, um, and But I, I do think that uh, uh, the next year, maybe they just don't invite a comedian. I don't know. Why? Have a juggler instead. Or get to Cirque du Soleil and they want some, they want some um, enter entertainment. Meanwhile, on another front, um, how about this little bit of good news reported this morning? The NRA is meeting uh, out in Dallas, and uh, the end of this week, May 4th, Mike Pence is speaking. It's rumored that Donald Trump may go again this year. He went last year. Uh, but Mike Pence is definitely going to appear on May the 4th. Um, <clears throat> and the NRA has announced that no guns are allowed in the, auto, in the arena when Mike Pence is giving his speech. Talk about hypocrisy, right? Don't they say nothing wrong with heaven? Isn't that, isn't that what the NRA stands for? I think, unless they change, nothing wrong with having guns in school, guns in sports arenas, Guns in churches, guns in movie theaters. Yeah. So what? I actually have the the statement that the NRA put out. Quite, uh, yeah. Quote from isn't the NRA. This, isn't this just pure hypocrisy? Yeah, they're creating a gun-free zone, which they, they claim to They're creating a gun-free zone. If they can do it for Pence, why can't we do it for our kids, right? So, so the NRA put out a statement that said, quote, as a result, <laughs> because they, they pointed out that, like, there are, at this gathering in Dallas, quote, more than 20 acres of firearm exhibits, which, that's, yeah, right. that's a little gross. It's a lot of guns. It's a lot of guns, basically. Uh, but they put on the statement that said, quote, as a result, firearms and firearm accessories, knives, or weapons of any kind will be prohibited in the forum prior to and during his attendance. So no ammunition, drones, gun parts, firearm magazines, um, or anything like that. So it, it, it really is just for... When he's when he talks, yeah, right. Every but the rest of the time there'll be guns everywhere, right? But it is for while he talks. That's the point. They have created a gun. The NRA is creating a gun-free zone, which, uh, unless I misread it, which means that guns are dangerous, and they don't want people with guns around the vice president. We don't want people with guns around our school kids and our kids. No effing way. Um, we'll see what happens. You know the same, same rule will apply when the president appears as well. That's the uh, NRA stepping on its own message there, I think. Lots more going on. We've got a great lineup of guests. Uh, a little bit later, Simon Pate is going to join us from Roll Call, senior political reporter. 
Zach Beecham from Vox will be here as well, senior reporter for Vox. But we start off, first guest from the Hill, Ben Kamazar, staff writer on a lot that's going on on the political front here. Coming up, and the latest on Robert Mueller as well. Ben Kamazar joining us. Quick break. This is the Bill Press Show. Hey, you bet it is uh, the Bill Press Show on a Monday, April 30. Hello, everybody. Thank you for joining us. Good to have you with us as we boom out to you coast to coast. From our studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., brought to you today by the International Association of Firefighters, the good men and women of our firefighting departments across this great land of ours. You see them uh, on the job every day. We count on them. They never let us down, protecting American families every single day of the year under the leadership of the great President Harold Shapeberger. We salute them, thank them for the support of the program, and uh, find out a lot more about all the many things the firefighters are involved in in their communities by going to the website at iaff.org. Uh, ben Camas are joining us shortly from uh, the Hill, uh, Ubering his way over here. Uh, and, and meanwhile, uh, thanks for your comments so far, Peter. You sure you want to thank him for these comments? You, know. you, got what you, you got what's called a ratio, Bill. You got ratioed over the weekend. Do you know what that means? You uh, put out a tweet uh, that yes, got very few uh, retweets, very few likes, but lots and lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of comments. Uh, and people respond to that. And this morning, they are not pleased. Uh, almost universally, everybody disagrees with you. So I just have to read what they say. Okay. Uh, Bill, please tell me anything that Michelle Wolf said that's not true. There was no line for her to cross because Trump obliterated it years ago. Sarah Huckabee Sanders does lie every damn day, and she just told her that she did. Uh, Other, by, by the way. You think this one by one, or you want me to just keep going? No, I, by the way, I'm not denying Sarah Huckabee Sanders lies every day. That's why I don't go to the brief uh, to the White House briefings every day. I keep asking you, you're having a dinner party. This was our dinner party, right? Do you invite somebody to your home for dinner and then call them a liar? I don't. <laughs> I don't think it's in good taste. Don't invite them. Uh, also, uh, don't have the dinner party. Anthony says, wow, Bill, didn't know that you were so much of a snowflake. <laughs> Joe Howard says the real controversy here is that she blames the media for installing Trump. Uh, I actually agree with that part of it. Jim Irwin says, Bill, let's be oh. honest. Sarah Huckabee Sanders is a liar and someone told her to her face. Would it have been better if she said it behind her back? KG says Sarah Huckabee Sanders shouldn't expose herself to truth tellers. That's the real problem. And on your point about uh, having someone in the living room. Uh, if Michelle made you uncomfortable, it's because she told the truth, maybe about you. Not you personally, but just if you were in the room. Uh, yes, I would have Michelle in my living room. I thought it was hilarious. Find uh, us uh, find on Twitter at BP Show. Uh, let me tell you, when, again, uh, I don't have to spend too much time on this because, by the way, you know, this is not the most important issue to talk about. Uh, but, re but in response to the comments, look, yeah, I disagree. And I want to, I want to, I want you to think about it in the context of the media and public opinion, and the White House, and the White House Correspondents Association, of which I'm a member, the White House Press Corps, uh, now has a dinner where, for two years in a row, the president hasn't shown up, and so what it looks like to a lot of people, 
the risk is it's going to look like to a lot of people it's just something I fought this image all my life of the quote liberal media that get together uh, to mock the president and to attack members of administration. And that's that's what a lot of people saw Saturday night. It didn't. Peter Baker, who's one of my good friends and I think one of the best reporters in the country today, tweeted out afterwards, we didn't do journalism any favors Saturday night. And I, I, I think you got to, as far as I'm concerned, uh, I think the White House Correspondents Association owes the press secretary an apology for inviting her, putting her at a head table, and then having a speaker who called her a liar to her face. I don't treat people that way. I don't think we should. Number two, I think they ought to cancel a freaking dinner. I wouldn't even have the dinner next year. Finally, something we agree on. I've been waiting for you to say something that I agree yeah. with you on, don't and there the it is. Dinner. Cancel no. the dinner, for God's yeah. sake. yeah. It's 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 first of all they should have canceled a long time ago I believe because it was such a Hollywood deal, so now the Hollywood stars don't come anymore, so now it's even less of a point of the dinner, uh, and it's certainly gotten away from what again I don't have a problem with. I don't care Republican or Democrat. You cover these people one night out of the year, you could just say let's put everything aside and sit down and have a drink, and have a little dinner. If that's what it was, fine. But then to bring somebody in who's going to um, napalm the entire room didn't do us any favor. Didn't do us any favor. Sorry, call me a snowflake. Call me whatever. Uh, I don't care. Uh, By the I was, way. I was there. It was very, un- very uncomfortable. And when two of my, I'm not going to name them, leading Democrats, big-time Democrats, Stormed out of the room because they found it so offensive. There's a problem. You may have sat at home and watched it and thought it was funny. Fine. It wasn't funny in the room. <laughs> we got lots of other comments on other topics, by the way. I think we can leave it there uh, on that. But we got some comments about the uh, chaplain as mm. well. Uh, Father Conroy, uh, Joey says, Paul Ryan and the GOP members really did fire a priest for speaking the message of Jesus Christ. Thanks so much for setting us all straight. Uh, Do you guys really think you're going to get near the gates of heaven? Okay, well, there's one take. By the way, on that point, too, the hypocrisy of Paul Ryan, who always talks about what a great Catholic he is and talks about poverty, right? You know, the importance of doing something about poverty in this country. We talked about this before, and then every one of his single budgets cuts every single program, government program, that would help the poor. And now he compounds that error by firing a priest who dared say that the tax cuts should benefit everybody, including the poor. What a controversial thing to say. Oh, my God. Uh, If you have any comments, and we are getting lots of them this morning, uh, find us on Twitter at BP Show. Okay. No more? Is that it? I- I'm going to leave it there. <laughs> we don't have enough time to read all the comments you've gotten this morning. I think, frankly, you get the point from our listeners. Keep them coming. Yours. Keep them coming. Bring it on. Uh, and uh, we'll keep we'll keep talking about it until they cancel the dinner. And then we can, we can move on. One thing we haven't talked about yet, uh, again, Ben Kamazar on his way from the Hill, uh, is what happened in North Korea. This is a, this is a BFD in uh, what happened in North Korea is um, that Donald, uh, in anticipation of the next summit, which is the summit between Kim Jong-un and Donald Trump, we still don't know where, we still don't know when, 
But Kim Jong-un said a couple of very important things over the weekend. Remember, he did say they're going to shut down that one testing site. Well, now he said, yeah, we're going to shut it down. And by the way, he said, we'll open it up so that to prove we're shutting it down, we're going to invite journalists in. We'll invite international inspectors in. They can come to the site to see that we shut it down, number one. Number two, he said, we will give up our nuclear weapons if the United States promises to stop its military exercises. Reportedly, he said this to President Moon, and promises never to invade North Korea. Now, that's not delivery of denuclearization, but he keeps indicating that he is open to that, uh, which was we never thought would be possible. And I still really have some doubts about that, that he'll ever really give up his nukes. I can't believe it. Our good friend Joe Cirincione, uh has assured us, uh, has told us that it's highly unlikely they would ever give up the nukes now that they have them, but he says he's open to that. And the other thing, a little thing that they said, which I found very interesting, is Kim Jong-un said that they're going to change their time, their clocks, so that the entire Korean peninsula is on the same is on the same time zone. I didn't realize North Korea and South Korea are like they're about an hour apart, which doesn't kind of make much sense. It's sort of like if we were in Washington on a different time zone than Philadelphia, right? Right, right. And um, so it's a little thing like that which can make a lot of difference. Where there, uh, he said, now we're going to put all of our clocks on the same on the same line. And by the way. Um, Adam, Adam Schiff, the leading Democrat on the House Intelligence Committee yesterday on um, ABC's This Week, uh, actually said that he thinks um, you have to give a little credit for what's I think happening. It's more, I think it's more than fair to say that the combination of the president's unpredictability and indeed his bellicosity uh, had something to do with the North Koreans deciding uh, to come to the table. Maybe, I would say. Maybe. I give him a little credit, sure. But um, certainly I wouldn't give him as much credit as the crowd out in Michigan tried to give him um, Saturday night. Um, <laughs> they were chanting what they think um, should uh, should happen or what Donald Trump should receive uh, for uh, what we see possible in North Korea. Again, ha- nothing has happened yet. No bell, no bell. That's very nice, thank you. <laughs> yeah, right. Jeez. Well, what the hell? President Obama got the Nobel Peace Prize, so no, no, not Donald Trump. Now Trump feels like no he more. has to get one too. <laughs> yeah, right. So, the, so now it just comes with the territory, right? You win the presidency automatically. I don't think so. Ben Kamazar from the Hill. Uh, he has arrived. Good to see you, Ben. How are <laughs> you doing? Good to see you. Doing well. All right. I'm glad you're here because there are a lot of things we haven't. Uh, had a chance to talk about yet. First of all, you've been writing about what might happen at the Veterans Affairs um, now that Ronnie Jackson has taken his name out of consideration. But it looks like Ronnie Jackson doesn't have a job at all now, huh? Is I mean, is he? Um, he he went back to the White House, obviously, and then it seems mm. like uh, that may not have worked out for him, unfortunately, it, which happens yeah. when you know these types of allegations come out. Um, I'm, a, I'm a campaign reporter and, and certainly, you know, there's a ripple effect in the VA. There's also a ripple effect in the Montana campaign because you had John Tester too as the scene as sort of the lead antagonist by the Trump forces. Right, so right. this is going to continue to mushroom out. I mean, this is not something that's going to just, you know, move on overnight and be done with it. 
So what does it mean that uh, he is out of his job as White House physician? Um, if there was really nothing there to any any of these allegations, why why would he quit? Well, I think that's the question. I think we're going to have to see exactly what you know mm-hmm. comes up in these invest- investigations. We have the Secret Service already put out a statement that questioned the vehicle portion of the allegations that he crashed a vehicle. Um, but then there's obviously another, another uh, like a bunch of other allegations as well. And without getting ahead of that, obviously, um, and seeing where that goes, I mean, certainly the fact that he's gone um, should be concerning. Frankly, and then also just sort of, you know, this is another one of the long list of people who, you know, came into this presidency with a relatively sterling reputation. You saw um, the president, you know, President Obama had his, you know, um, had report cards that that Trump pointed to and said, look, this is how much we trust this man that he was trusted by the other administrations ahead of us. Um, You know, a lot of people really um, respected Ronnie Jackson and certainly has been a doctor to many presidents. And to have a situation where he's now not just no longer in the running for VA, which would have been fine. You know, he, he wasn't, he didn't seem like he had those aspirations. But now that he's no longer in the White House, which I guess would have been fine if he had left on his own accord, but now it's just another one of these uh, names to add to the list of people who unfortunately now leaves this White House or leaves this, you know, political time with a damaged reputation. You know, that's a very good point, I think, that uh, there, uh, a, a, there's a long list of people Ronnie Jackson, I'm thinking Rex Tillerson, Tom Price, maybe Steve Bannon, right, whatever, who who have come close to Donald Trump and been burned and uh, and have found their reputations in tatters. Now, yeah. maybe they get them back. Maybe they don't. Maybe they. I you mean, could put the mooch, I guess, on that list too, right? Well, and, and Michael Flynn. I mean, what I think makes Jackson so interesting is it doesn't seem that Jackson really had aspirations to be in the spotlight, right? You look at you know Anthony Scaramucci. Yeah, you look at yeah, a lot of the names, that's right. Price that's or point, these people. Too. You know, yeah. they were building towards this point, but not necessarily Ronnie Jackson. Right. So back to John Tester. I mean, Donald Trump indicating at this rally out in Michigan on on Saturday. Uh, that if you get into allegations against Ronnie Jackson, I got some stuff on John Tester. Well, I know things about Tester that I could say, too. Oh, oh, right. Here we go now. We're kind of, as Peter indicated earlier, and I agree, if he really had any stuff on Tester, he wouldn't hold back. If he knows something, we'll know something. He'd be tweeting it, right. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, this other underscore, I mean, you know, you have a Republican establishment here in Washington that is just trying to sound every alarm to bring the president into the midterms where he can be helpful and to keep him the heck out where he can't be helpful. And that's, you know, there's this, this really difficult line where Trump may not play well in the House. Trump may be the reason if there is a blue wave, if that does form, it's probably going to be because of Donald Trump. But in the Senate, in some of these states where these red state lawmakers are running in states where Trump won by 10, 20, 30, 40 points, Trump's an asset. So it's interesting that, you know, maybe they actually may have the Republicans in Montana looking to flip that seat may have slipped and fell on a pretty potent point if it brings the president to be fully engaged in the Senate race out there. Well, there's a New York Times piece yesterday saying that Republicans are concerned that they don't believe Donald Trump recognizes the gravity of 2018 and the potential losses that Republicans could face in 2018, and so that he's sort of been unwilling to engage so far. 
Do you find that? I mean, I mean, you've seen this. The, the White House has picked its spots a lot more. Um, I mean, this is, for the president, as much as he's political, he's also he's not political in the sense of you know that in the way strategists would probably want him to be. You know, you don't see much. You don't see as much of an active um, sort of you know take a look, a large look at the map and see where we can help. You know, you've seen Mike Pence do a lot of the big campaign stops. I mean, he's really. Um, hammered away at some of these red state senators. So I think the interesting thing is, you know, if that, you know, I, that that story was extremely interesting, and if that's the case, and that Trump is not, you know, does not have does not have this proclivity to jump in and dive into the midterms to help these other candidates, if they can find issues that can sort of personalize it for him, and this Montana issue is one of them, if they can say, you know, look at Mon- look at John Tester, he attacked your guy. And that can bring him out to Montana, a state that Trump won very easily um, in 2016. That might be sort of the pathway forward is try for, for these for this White House staff and for Republicans, the RNC, just a couple blocks from here, try right. to find a way to personalize these races so it's not just, oh, I don't want to do that. It's, oh, I need to do that. Right. But if you look also at his record so far, I mean, governor of New Jersey didn't go so well. Governor of Virginia didn't go so well. Uh, Luther, Str- Luther Strange and then Roy Moore in Alabama, whoever the guy was up against Connor Lamb in Pennsylvania. Uh, so they lost all of those. The one race Republicans have won, which was out in Arizona, Donald Trump. I mean, he tweeted for Debbie Lesko, but he didn't campaign for her. Yeah, right? there was much so, more of a concerted effort by other, by congressional Republicans. Uh, I mean, he obviously went on big on the stump uh, for Karen Handel um, in, in Georgia in, last year. Um, in that special election, that first right. big one. Oh, I mean, yeah. but it's been a weird. It's been such a weird year. I mean, you know, in in President Trump's defense, he certainly did not pick Rick Saccone, the you know state or the the county assembly or you know, the county uh, delegates picked Rick yeah. Saccone. And even in in um in in Roy Moore's case, I mean, you know that you could probably argue that the you know, nuking by the House, the nuking of Mo Brooks, the other candidate, the third candidate in that race by the um, by the establishment Republicans, probably helped Roy Moore win more than you know Trump had was able to do. So he was dealt a little bit of a bad hand in his defense in some of those. But yeah, I mean he he's it is he has shown in this midterms that it's not as easy as just you know getting the band back together and saying, hey guys, remember the magic of 2016? Let's just do it again because you're going to need more than that. On Tester, I mean, I really think that John Tester is a if anybody fits the state that they come from, you know, uh, it's John Tester. I mean, to me, he is Montana. But um, it, it, whether this, how this um, Ronnie Jackson thing plays, it's a long time between now and November, number one. Number two, if there's any solid evidence, we ha- which we haven't seen so far, to back up these allegations. The allegations um, against Tester? Against, oh, yeah. uh, against Ronnie Jackson. Oh, Ronnie Jackson, excuse me. Ronnie Jackson. I mean, that that just puts this whole thing to bed, right? I mean, then how can you criticize? To me, I would say, how can you criticize John Tester for basically doing his job, right? Yeah, I mean, I think you're going to have to obviously, yeah, I think that you're, that's a really good point, that if this leads to where the allegations are substantiation, substantiated excuse me, in, in any significant amount. In terms then, of the drinking, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, then you have to say, really, really? You want him ahead of the VA, right? But I will say, you know, it's a, with all the with conservative <laughs> voters and supporters of Trump, they're going to still be able. You can still weaponize it, regardless. It's just going to be much less potent. I think you know, if it turns out that Jackson was basically fine and that most of this was not um, true, then it could be an issue for Tester. But I think as long you're right, as long as it ends up in a situation where the accusations are somewhat proven, then. 
it loses its potency in the midterms. What are the polls showing about the effect of the Mueller investigation, uh, if any, on the 2018 elections? It's tough. I mean, I think we, you know, we had some polling done um, last week um, by Harvard Harris, um, showed really, you know, pretty wide majorities approved of Mueller's conduct. It was, you know, the questions about, you know, do you think Mueller's overstepped his bounds? People, majorities, no, we don't think so. Hmm. You know, do you think that the Cohen raid was overstepping? No, don't think so. You know, do you think he only, meet, you know, do you think that, um, you know, the president, or sorry, the, the special counsel can investigate, you know, into other areas if that if that's where it leads him? Like, yes. But then when you get to the more Probably, sort of— So that's pretty supportive yeah, of what— Yeah, very supportive yeah. of what Mueller's doing—sorry, right. of, of, of Mueller's conduct. Then when you get yeah. to the sort of the more political questions like, you know, well, you know, should this be ending shortly with—if, you know, should this end soon if we don't see anything? People are kind of more oh. split on that. Then we sort of, you know, questions um, that, you know, get a little bit more towards 50-50 when you talk about basically, like, you know, should it end, you know, should uh, Mueller— you know, should Mueller be really leaning into, you know, other issues as well? It's so I think you see an American public, at least in this polling that we have, um, that is supportive of what Mueller of, of Mueller is doing, given what he's been tasked with. But people are starting to wane a little bit. And, and, and it's more partisan about, you know, whether he should be tasked with this in the first place. Hmm. Uh, and um, but feeling, though, that they'd like to see it over with. I think that's that's that was sort of the sentiment of the poll was pretty split. I mean, I think and that's not that surprising considering it's a pretty partisan question at this point. And that's the interesting thing about all this polling is that, you know, when you really see something that deviates from a partisan mean, it gets interesting, right? And that's why I think it was interesting to see 60% or whatever the number was, it was around 60% say that they felt that he had not overstepped his bounds and was moving in the right direction. Because at the end of the day, so many of these polling questions that we see in this politicized world that we live in are basically just proxies for do you like President Trump or not, or do you like Republicans or not? And so you typically see answers that hit somewhere in that mark. Um, and so when you see these, you know, a larger majority, it raises an eyebrow because it means that people are actually, you know, taking another issue into consideration, which they don't always do. Uh, on this one, we don't have time to cover all the 2018, important 2018 races, but uh, for a while, uh, Democrats were uh, had a big smile on their face when it comes to West Virginia because uh, the leading Republican for a while, again, for a time, Don Blankenship, the former mining executive who spent, what, a year in, spent pen, a year for, a year um, in yeah. prison and was still on probation uh, running for Senate. Um, looks like um, his, his star is uh, diminishing now, huh? So. I mean, I think is this Republicans are cautiously optimistic here, but you have a three-person field with Blankenship, who, as you said, served a year in a misdemeanor for um, a mine a mine explosion that killed a bunch of people. Um, then you have uh, the Attorney General and then a, a Republican Congressman. Um, people have been cautiously optimistic. Uh, Republicans have been cautiously optimistic that Blankenship is fading. It looked like it could be a three-person race. Recent polling has shown sort of a two-person race with Blankenship in third. Yeah, but you know, who yeah. knows at this point? You know, you can never predict a primary electorate, um, especially now. But then you still have a senator, Joe Manchin, who is hardly some extreme lefty. I mean, just the opposite. You know, a lot of people say he's really a Republican, but uh, he is a Democrat. Uh, and and I think like Mon like Tester fits Montana. Joe Manchin fits West Virginia. No, so and that's going to be no matter who it is. It'd be tough to. Oh, dislodge it'll be a him, tough. I mean, Manchin has been there for you know. Manchin, yeah. Manchin's been in state pod politics for decades there, and has really carved out a niche. 
But this is yet another one of the states where the White House is looking to target. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and um, and that's a key one. And then we've got Tennessee, and then we've got Nevada and Arizona. Um, it's going to be a busy year. It's going to be a busy <laughs> year, yeah. <laughs> so saddle up. You can follow Ben Kamazar at The Hill, thehill.com, of course. And when we come back, Zach Beecham is going to join us, senior reporter for Vox. Ben, thanks so much for coming in. Pleasure. All right. Quick break, and we'll be right back with our number two, this The Bill Press is Show. The Bill Press Show. Hey, friends, don't be a stranger. Keep up to date with all of The Bill Press Show happenings around the clock on social media. Here's how you can follow us on Twitter at BP Show or on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Bill Press Show and on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And remember, if you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, please rate and review the show. That means a lot to us. And thanks so much for your support. Everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. If I don't get my wall, I'm going to shut down the whole damn country. That's what Donald Trump told a crowd Saturday night. Yep, take my marbles and go home. Well, <laughs> I guess we're going to shut down because he's not going to get that wall. Hello, everybody. What do you say on a Monday, April 30? Here we are. It is the Bill Press Show. Good to see you today. And thanks so much for weighing in. Thanks so much for joining us, whether you are uh, joining us online, on television, on the radio. It's good to have you with us. A lot, a lot's uh, happening here. If you uh, relaxed over the weekend, good for you, because uh, no relaxation today with all the news of the day. Uh, on the North Korean front, uh, things looking even more positive than ever toward that summit between Kim Jong-un and um, Donald Trump. We're going to talk about that right here at the top of this hour. Uh, the White House Correspondents' Dinner over the weekend. Uh, lots of controversy over the uh, entertainment part of the program with the comedian Michelle Wolf. Um, the speaker, Paul Ryan in more hot water than ever because he summarily, for the first time since 1789, fired a chaplain of the House of Representatives and still unclear why he fired him. So uh, all kinds of stuff going on that we want to hear from you about and you will want to comment on. Send us your comments on Twitter, at BP Show, at BP Show. Zach Beecham joins us from Fox here in the first half hour here of our second hour together. But first, this is the Full Court Press. Yes, indeed. Just a couple of other stories making news. You know, we've talked about this story before about what is happening to the Great Barrier Reef. They are having major problems because of... Yes. Global warming. Climate Whoa. change has really affected and impacted the Great Barrier Reef. And Australia is taking note. They, over the weekend, pledged more than 500 million Australian dollars to help preserve the Great Barrier Reef. That translates to about 379 million American dollars. Now, they understand that this is one of the most important ecological sites that exist on the planet. 
and it's being completely destroyed. Uh, the coral has been damaged and is being killed off. Uh, there are 500 miles of the northern Great Barrier Reef that has seen the most damage, which is also known, uh, that's known as the best parts, the most beautiful parts of the Great Barrier Reef. And so now they are going to fund some action to fix it, get it better, repair it, and try and change and fix the damage that's been caused over the years due to global warming. Uh, yeah, but who believes in global warming anyway, right? right? Yeah, mean, right. What, yeah, I mean, what, what more evidence do we need before these idiots in Congress say, you know, and the idiot in the White House says, let's get back in the climate accords and take this seriously? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Mike Pence is going to be speaking. We talked about this a little bit earlier at the National Rifle Association. Uh -huh. They have their big... Uh, their big annual meeting. Right. And Mike Pence is going to be speaking. But there is a no-gun policy. Mm -hmm. He's going to be speaking this Friday. And as I mentioned, they said that they will have 20 acres of firearm exhibits there at the annual meeting. And when Mike Pence speaks, no one will be allowed to have any no. weapons of any kind. Here's now, wait a minute. I thought these were good guys with guns. So it's why a, can't they have a gun? It's a right? gun-free zone. And why can they have a gun-free zone? <laughs> All of a sudden they like In them. their auditorium, but we can't have a gun-free gun zone in schools. The NRA put out a statement says, quote, firearms and firearm accessories, knives, or weapons of any kind will be prohibited at the forum prior to and during his attendance, referring to, of course, Mike Pence. So lawful firearms will be allowed at the event, but not, not with when Mike, Mike Pence. Pence speaks. Yeah, so. if, if only they would give all the rest of us the same protection they're willing to give Mike Pence. It really is, you know, that's that's what it comes down to, right? Yeah. Hypocrites. Uh, total hypocrites. <laughs> total hypocrites. When it comes to Mike Pence, we agree that guns are dangerous and nobody should have them, right? And that somebody having a gun, it's likely somebody will use a gun. This is the Bill Press Show. Yes, indeed. One of the dumbest moves ever made in the United States Congress. Paul Ryan firing the Catholic chaplain, Father Patrick Conroy, out of a job because, it said, he dared express the view that um, maybe it would be a good thing if the Republican tax bill uh, that they were debating would be fair to all Americans, including the poor. Oh, God forbid that a priest should say anything about helping the poor. <clears throat> Have they ever read the Gospels? What do you say, everybody? Great to see you today. It is uh, Monday, April 30, last day of the month here. Boy, flew by on a very busy weekend with a lot of news on a lot of fronts. That's why it's good to have you with us as we join you coast to coast and around the globe online, on television, free speech TV, and on the great WCPT, the progressive voice of Chicago. Uh, in studio with us, Zach Beecham, senior reporter for Vox. Hello, Zach. It's always good to see you. Hey, Bill. Love being on. Welcome back. Thank you. And um, we haven't spent a lot of time this morning waiting for you to talk about North Korea. I mean, every time you turn around, it seems like Kim Jong-un is making one more apparent concession. Um, and how, how much, first of all, how much faith can we put in anything he says? Uh, right now? Um, and this is the only time in history I'm going to recommend this. So uh, just, you know, get ready. I think we should listen to John Bolton. 
um, who said, <clears throat> you can't trust What no- could go wrong? Yeah, right. <laughs> what could go wrong with that advice? <laughs> Bolton said that, you know, they've done get, things uh, like this in the past. a glass of water? For yeah, you right. sorry. Yeah, sorry. Phil's sick right now. We'll do that. Um, yeah, Bolton said that you, North Korea has done things like this in the past. They've alternated between periods of outreach and periods of hostility, and that's accurate. Like, yeah, they have. Th- this right. current government has never done the outreach thing. We don't know, we and we can't know whether or not Kim Jong Un is just repeating the patterns of the past administrations of his father and grandfather, or whether he's genuinely attempting to try to strike some kind of deal. Now it doesn't make any sense, and no North Korea expert thinks he would actually give up his nuclear weapons, which is sort of a red flag because it seems like he said that on yeah, Sunday. Right. Well, South Korea says he said that, um, and if he's suggesting something that seems wildly implausible. Uh, then my guess is it probably is too good to be true. Right. So he said he said several things. Um, let's start with uh, the one that I, <laughs> that I really like because it's just so down home and so sensible is that they're going to change their clocks so that everybody on the entire Korean Peninsula has the same time zone. Which you would think, okay, it's good. It's a little thing, but it's a good start. There are lots of little things like that in the yeah, Koreas right. uh, that they use to maintain their differences between each other, even though yeah, it's right. pointless. Uh, and he also said they're going to shut down this one testing site. Right. And that they're going to allow international inspectors and journalists to come in to uh, check it out. That'd be great. Right? That would, that would also I be mean, great. I mean, the idea that. that people could have access to North Korea, right, it has never happened before. Yeah, look, I don't mean to be... Um, like reflexively pessimistic because it's the oh. Trump administration, but you know we've seen the song and dance before, right? Oh yeah, and and I, 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 listen, I'm with you. I don't trust the thing that either one of them say, right? But and and certainly with Kim Jong Un so far, I mean, let's not give him too much credit, right? I mean, he's still a thug, he's still a murderer, he's still a brutal dictator, and still starves his people so that they can afford these nuclear weapons, and then. He does say, but he and also he says that he's open to denuclearization, which means no more nukes, right? Yeah. So typically, that's the, the one that I I thought he would say that he, that he'd never go that far. So that we won't no first use, right? Something like that, but getting rid of them. So typically, when the North Koreans say denuclearization, they don't mean what we think when we say denuclearization, that, right? Yeah. So we think they mean they get rid of their nuclear weapons. And, you know, we say we won't invade them, and that's it. Um, typically, their understanding of denuclearization also involves an end to the U.S. security guarantee to South Korea, because that is de facto saying it's like American nuclear weapons are on the Korean Peninsula, from their point of view. Right. right? We're saying, you know, you attack South Korea, what, we might nuke what does you. What does that mean? So that we would not invade to protect North Korea, to protect South Korea, is that it? Correct. So we withdraw our guarantee, and we take our troops out. And we basically just become friends with South Korea, not allies. And so yeah. that's the trade that North Korea wants to make. That, from the American point of view, is unacceptable for the obvious reason that it could very well lead to a war, which is what we've been trying to de- prevent the entire time. Mm-hmm. And we're willing to you know, let the nuclear risk stay higher if it means the risk of overall war is lower. Right. And then there is this uh, pledge uh, that the two parties made last week uh, in what really was an historic meeting big deal, right, that they are going to sign a, a treaty by the end of the year, ending the nuclear, officially ending 
uh, the nuclear war, which ended, what, in 
you know, saber rattled and freaked out Kim Jong-un, so he came to the table. You could also see it as Kim Jong-un played Trump and convinced him into thinking that accepting a longtime North Korean offer was a strategic coup on his part. You know, listening to you and realizing the complexity of this issue, right, that, for example, that they, when they say denuclearization, they don't mean the same thing like that we do, right? There's so many levels, and there's so much history here. Um, I don't know how to say this politely. I don't yeah, know no need for true. politeness. Uh, yeah, I think that's out the window at this point. I guess, so, I mean, is, is Donald Trump up to this challenge of sitting down and talking about this, uh, negotiating this issue, you know, which is you know, so fraught with meaning and history and all of that. No. I no, mean, of course he's not. <laughs> if this works, it won't be because Donald Trump sat down and he hammered out. Was such a brilliant strategist. Yeah, right? yeah. and hammered out an agreement with Kim Jong-un. It'll work because the president will sit down with Kim Jong-un. It'll open up channels of negotiations. Actual nuclear policy experts will get to talk to North Koreans. And maybe at some point this uh, dialogue between the two governments leads to an agreement. But it won't. It would stun me. It would it would shock me and everyone who's been watching this issue for any period of time if that summit ends with an, a concrete, real agreement. The Iran deal, the most similar recent negotiation, took years. Yeah. It's tremendously complicated. The document's very long with lots of different provisions, some of which uh, the public hasn't read because they have to be kept by the IAEA um, about for various right. different contractual reasons in the uh, in the agreement, right? All of this stuff is so technical when it comes to nuclear weapons and denuclearization um, inspections and so on that you can't hammer it out at a highest level meeting. You just can't do it. Right. Uh, And unlike one thing, unlike other administrations, in this case, it's the principles going first before all the preparatory work has been done. Right. And normally it should be the reverse. Right. Right. And once once the lower and level usually people identify. Works, we know it works better in the reverse. We'll see if it can possibly work this time. I want to get to the Iran nuclear deal sure. but um, in just a sec. But before that, um, some people, uh, at least Saturday night, um, are maybe um, rushing things a little bit. Uh, the crowd Saturday night um, when uh, the president started talking about um, what we're seeing in North Korea, they broke out into this chant. That's very nice, thank you. No bell, no bell, no bell. <laughs> Maybe cart, <laughs> cart before the horse? <laughs> A little bit. I mean, Obama got one too early too, but he did, yeah. I mean, he got one before he like moved into the White House almost. Like yeah, that. it was in 2009, right? It was Oh no, it was like yeah, it yeah. was like maybe March 2009. It was right off the bat. Yeah, he hadn't done anything. And he was nothing. Yeah. Right. It was yeah. just people were mad about George W. Bush at the Nobel Committee and just you wait. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh so um May 12 coming up, right? Next week will be the 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 first deadline or the next uh, decision point for Donald Trump on the Iran nuclear deal, which Emmanuel Macron was here last week to try to talk him into staying in. Uh, he left admitting, and then Angela Merkel on Friday. By the way, she didn't what's much news out of that visit at all. She came with the same mission. Uh, both of them basically admitted that they failed before they uh, while they were leaving. 
and was never likely to succeed. I mean, the president has had this longstanding hatred for the Iran nuclear deal. Uh, who knows why? Uh, it is certainly not based on the finer points of no. uh, proliferation you know technical knowledge. Because it was done under Obama. I Let's mean, just be honest. Yeah, like that's the the easiest explanation, yeah. And so Obama makes this deal. He thinks he can make a better deal. And his view, he's always wanted to scrap it. Uh, in the past, you had advisors who tried to restrain him. Uh, and you still have some of those people in the White House. I assume that General Mattis right now is doing anything that he can to try to maintain the deal, which is funny because he was ostracized in the Obama administration for being too much of an Iran hawk. And now here he is, the most important person in government trying to save the Iran nuclear deal. Yeah. Um, so it is possible that he wins again. Um, but last time, Tillerson backed his play, McMaster backed his play, Trump, but and Trump still got in, if I recall one report correctly, a two hours long screaming match with his staff where he's like, I want to cancel. Mm -hmm. I want to get out. And they're like, you can't get out. It would be a disaster. And this is a point on which most serious Iran experts agree. Almost all, in fact. Even if they opposed the deal to begin with. Unilaterally pulling out doesn't offer the United States any benefits given the way the deal works. You give a, Iran a lot of stuff up front for complying. Mm -hmm. um, and then you built in punishments based on Iranian violations that would be multilateral. So, you know, if the U.S. and the EU all agreed that there was a punishment, that they, Iran was cheating, some real punishments would snap back into place. Right. Uh, that would probably not happen in this case. I don't think the Europeans would want to try to torpedo the deal. Mm -hmm. They would do what they can to try to preserve it and stay in it, and would, it would be kind of un So the deal unfair. remains, but we're not part of it, I guess. Is that... Maybe what you're saying? that would be luck. That's the best case scenario. Um, it but it is... also means that Iran would um, begin a, a green light to resume their nuclear program, correct? Right. Unless they still value you know, the stuff the from the Europeans. But even yeah, then, the Europeans right. might not punish them because the Iranians might be smart about it. They might say, look, we're not pushing towards a nuclear bomb. We just think that the Americans did something really unfair and we are going to edge out of our obligation on a certain point. And the Europeans saying, well, they're not going to build nuclear weapons. Let's not let's uh, not stop our corporations from doing business with them because that would be wrong given that the Americans punished them for not doing anything. Uh, and you could see the the logic and, and how the Iranians, if they played it correctly, could get to a weapon. Does it get back to, uh, you know, that Trump feels, I, I hate to raise this, use this phrase, the, the base, but, you know, but he campaigned, he promised, this is a bad deal, the worst deal I ever saw, and I'm going to break this deal, get out of this deal. And he feels then that he has to do it because he said he was going to do it. It's like we've seen so many other things, right? The wall, right? No matter Congress doesn't put up the money for the wall, you know, down from every people's like, well, he promised that he was going to do it, so he's got to do it. There are certain things that are core to the guy's public image as he understands it. And Donald Trump is nothing if not image obsessed. And the way of putting it. Right. Yeah. yeah. And that's it. And right? so this is part of it. The wall is part of his image. The Iran nuclear deal is part of it. Repealing Obamacare was also a part of his image. It failed that and happened. Well, now he just says but we repealed Obamacare. Oh, yeah, yeah, right, right. And they have done everything by executive power to undermine it and undercut it, for sure. 
but the vote to repeal never happened. So. That, that executive action stuff is actually a really good parallel. It's another unilateral thing that doesn't really advance any discernible public policy goal. Like pulling out of the Iran deal doesn't meaningfully check Iran's regional ambitions, which is what Trump is apparently angry about. Sabotaging various different parts of the Affordable Care Act does not improve people's lives or get them better health care. It just, in both cases, it is a spiteful counterproductive action that seemingly is only justifiable if the purpose of it is undermining something that the last administration did that you didn't like. By the way, back to what we're what I was asking about um, Donald Trump sitting down to deal with all the complexity of the um, of ending the Korean War or making some kind of a, a deal with North Korea. Um, a parallel was watching Donald Trump and Emmanuel Macron at their news conference last week talking about the Iran the Iran deal. Because with Emmanuel Macron, you know, it, with, with, with Trump, it was simply, it's a bad deal. We've got to get out of it. And we're going to. Right? Well, and we'll see what happens. He didn't officially announce. We'll see what happens. And, you know, and Macron would, went into a pretty intelligent analysis of what's good about the deal, what's not, and that the smarter way to go would be, uh, okay, we agree this is not a perfect deal. But instead of pulling out, what we do is we agree we're going to work and we're going to shore up those parts of the deal that are that, the things that were missing in that original deal, the four pillars he kept talking about, and make sure that, which was a very, I thought, very intelligent, very informed sort of approach to the thing, which I'm not sure Donald Trump standing there from the look on his face, I'm not sure he understood a word of what Macron was saying, not just because he was speaking in French. Um so, you know, it's a similar yeah. path with with if, if, if you really took a look at this Iran nuclear deal and saying, OK, it didn't do it didn't solve every problem in the region. I think, by the way, they were wise not to try to solve every I, problem that's in the region. Very clearly time. correct. Yeah. yeah. Right. But there are things that other things they could add and agree to and maybe get Iran to agree to and work on those now rather than trashing this deal. Yeah, it's right. obviously a smarter approach. I mean, I think that there are probably better things that one could do than attempt to, with your diplomatic effort, capital, attention. Like, those things are finite. There are other problems you could try to solve, given that the deal right now is going to hold for another uh, many, many years yeah. at this point, yeah. given its yeah. current provisions What's to be largely effective. Two years old, maybe now, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. From implementation day. Right. So uh, have at least, at least 13 years to go, right? Yeah. Um, what is it, before we let you go, what is yeah. the latest on Syria? Uh, are, are we pulling our troops out <laughs> or not? As to Donald, does Donald Trump know? Currently, I am the human equivalent of the shruggy emoji. I have no understanding of <laughs> what we're going to do um, in Syria. I don't, like, I... Does he... No, no, because he said completely opposite things. I mean, they aren't literally contradictory. That is saying we're going to pull out troops and then bombing. Technically, yeah. aircraft are not ground troops. But, like, come right. on, conceptually, yeah. what he's saying is, and he said this explicitly in his we're going to bomb Syria speech, or we just bombed Syria speech. He said, you know, we are going to maintain this effort until Assad stops using chemical weapons. Well, that is an indefinite maintenance mm -hmm, mm -hmm. of U.S. presence in the region. So, like, are you going to be involved in fighting in Syria or are you not going to be involved in fighting in Syria? And I have no idea. I just 
you you could probably do this two step where you do both, where you pull out troops that are involved in the counter ISIS mission, and then you step up activity against Assad. But that is the opposite of what he campaigned on on this issue, like a hundred percent the opposite of it. And I just, for the life of me, cannot figure or find a coherent strategy behind the various different statements on Syria. It's just whatever Donald Trump feels about this specific thing without regards to a broader analysis of what's going on. Right. Uh, and then you've got the role of Russia in Syria, too, which... Well, um, I mean, they're going to continue to back their client, right? They, they have seen dividends from this in terms of progress on the ground and a real shift in momentums against, momentum against the rebels, and there's no reason for them to change their behavior at this point. They're ahead, Right. They're not suffering much in the way. Well, they are sort of in terms of casualties and the mm. war is not actually that popular back home in Russia. Um, but there's no international pressure that's meaningful on the Russians to get them to stop doing what they're doing. They're likely to keep doing it until they win. Right. Um, it, uh, it looks like also on the foreign policy front that um, Donald Trump is finally going to get his visit to the U.K., uh, which was going to happen last year, and uh, the threat of protests uh, convinced everybody <clears throat> not to even try it. Um, this year, we read now he's going in July, uh, but it's not an official state visit. Yeah, I don't know what that distinction is about or why they're making it, other than to maybe save face for Theresa May, because he's profoundly unpopular there. Uh, but I am very interested to see who he ends up meeting with, in part because he has tweeted support for far right or tweeted videos taken by British far right activists before and been in a long running public feud with the mayor of London. Mm -hmm. So one of the UK's most prominent politicians and also, you know, just happens to be the UK capital where he'll need to be. Yeah. I'm and the mayor's pretty popular over there. No, I mean, yeah. 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 They, they really do like the mayor. So he's, he's I mean, there's he's every reason to be popular. Sure. Yeah, um, I was I was there last year um, when there was that terrorist attack uh, that fueled the latest round of the Trump City Con feud. And uh, let me tell you, when you talk to Brits about Donald Trump, they're mostly like, "Why?" In London, they'll often, you know, say pair this with uh, an understanding that they also made a sort of large electoral mistake in terms of the Brexit, Brexit. vote. Yeah, but you know, around the country, my sense is that. People just don't – they don't understand what the Americans were thinking, and they, they, he just seems like a like a man who is clearly not qualified for his office, and that makes them just, just baffled about the whole thing. So my guess is there will still be large amounts of protests. And Does he still get an automatic visit with the queen? Uh, I don't know, actually. I don't know. That would be quite a photograph. I think he is meeting the Queen. I had read that he was going to meet meet with the Queen while he was over there, but I don't know. I hope she doesn't. Anyhow, yeah, but, right. Uh, and who's that crazy Englishman who came over here? Nigel Farage. Yeah, Nigel. Nigel. Oh Jesus. Yeah, he'll, uh, there'll definitely be some Nigel Farage. Yeah, that's, yeah. That, that Nigel yeah. Farage will be happening. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he'll probably be his his you know guide to the UK or something traveling wouldn't, with wouldn't surprise me he I, I believe early in the administration called the UK government and asked them to make Nigel Farage ambassador to the US <laughs> <laughs> how it works it is not how it works no <laughs> okay all right you could send me anybody but I want you to send me Nigel Farage yeah I want this one yeah it's not again mm. no <laughs> and he's also not a very popular politician in in Britain 
Well, he's not no. a politician anymore. Well, right, yeah, true, yeah. fair. He's not, but he's not a popular figure over there. Yeah. Yes. Well, I, I must say that uh, uh, Friday night I uh, enjoyed the hospitality of the ambassador, Sir Kim Darak, uh, and Lady D- Lady Vanessa Darak at the British Embassy. So they've got a good person representing them here. Uh, much better than Nigel Could have been the House of Farage. No. Hey, thanks for bringing us up to date, Zach, very much. You can follow Zach at Vox.com, right? Yep. Okay. Uh, Vox.com, right. Uh, we'll come back, and we're going to be joined by Simon Pate from uh, Politico coming up next. I'm sorry, from Roll Call. Yeah. That's right there. I just misread it. Good to see you, man. Thanks so much oh, for coming in. Awesome. Quick break. We'll be guys. right back. This is the Bill Press Show. Here we go on a Monday, April 30. Wrapping up here, the Bill Press Show for this Monday, last day of the month of April. Good to see you today. Thank you for joining us. Uh, as you know, if you've been following us so far, it's a busy news day. Every busy, every day is a busy news day uh, in the land of Trump. And we'll wrap it up for you here uh, in our last half hour together, where we're brought to you today by the American Federation of Government Employees, those good men and women of the AFGE, under President J. David Cox, who keep our federal agencies running day in and day out, not just here in Washington, but all across the country. Uh, we depend on them, count on them. They never let us down in season and out of season. Proud to get up and work for America every day. Check out their website at afge.org. Simon Pate covers politics for a roll call. Uh, and here in studio with us this morning, Simon, it's nice to see you. Good morning. Thank Thanks you. so much for coming in. Um, so um, you were at the White House Correspondents' Dinner Saturday night. Uh, it's uh, what everybody is still talking about this morning, watching uh, all the cable news show. Um, what was your impression? Were you uh, entertained? Were you embarrassed? Were you... Um, Frustrated, angry. How'd you walk? What'd you walk so away with? This was my first White House correspondence. Oh, really? Dinner. So the whole oh. thing was sort of sensory overload. <laughs> Everything uh, from people's attires <laughs> to the alcohol flow. You know, it was all a new experience for me. Who's the um, most interesting person that you saw that you in the crowd that you? Oh ran my into? goodness! Because um, there are a lot besides of, Bill Press. Of course. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> Uh, what I thought was interesting was just the range of members of Congress. You know, as a congressional reporter, those are the people that I recognize more than actual right. celebrities. Yeah. So I saw folks like, you know, very conservative Republican Jim Banks of Indiana and more moderate Democrat like Tim Ryan. I was sitting in front of Mark Meadows and his wife. You know, a, a lot of people that sort of um, spurn Washington and swamp and sort of the, the elite scene, if you will, um, we're also at this dinner. Which Tim Ryan was one of my guests. At oh, the dinner. okay, okay. Yeah, there right? you go. Uh, he had a good time. Very good. Uh, yeah, David Cicilline from um, mm. Rhode Island was. Mm. I mean, we both saw a lot of members of Congress. Yes. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, but you know, on the on the celebrities that like, were there a lot of celebrities none. there? No. Like right. I no. Thought I recognized. No. <laughs> I, I I don't know. You know who was there? Kathy Kathy Griffin. Oh yeah. Oh wow, really? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but other than that. I, yeah. No. You know. Well, like I remember the last time I went, I was next to uh, uh, Joy Behar and the the table from the View. Whoopi Goldberg, Whoopi Joy Goldberg Behar, they were there. all sitting together. They were not there. They this weren't year. there. None of the celebrities. Even some there. of the big, uh, uh, 
Well, I, I didn't see them all, but I like I didn't see the network anchors. I didn't see Jeff Glore. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I didn't see Wolf Blitzer even. Um, oh wow, could have been there, but a lot of those were not there this year. Uh, but you know, like George Clooney was just. I mean, you see big act, you know, big yeah, names yeah. like that. Not this year, yeah. no. Um, and well, uh, it's not Obama that's president, right? So like Obama would show up. And there's obviously a celebrity factor there, and that's gone now. So, I mean, Stormy Daniels wasn't even. <laughs> yeah, I have to say that's a real missed opportunity. Somebody should have invited Stormy. Well, Daniels. Michael Avenatti was there, but I didn't see him. But I know I read that he was there. Uh, and the entertainment. Um, I thought it was uncomfortable for sure. I mean, just sitting next to my boss. That's probably not the kind of jokes that I want to be laughing about um, or members of Congress. I certainly respect comedians' First Amendment rights. That's what we were there to celebrate. Um, and I think she's entitled to say whatever she wants to say. Um, but, 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 but would you agree that it was not the right place and the right room for those comments? Probably, yeah. Yeah, yeah she certainly has a First Amendment right to make whatever yeah. jokes that she wants. I just thought some of them really were over the line and in, yeah. bad, in bad taste. Yeah, yeah. I think they made a lot of people uncomfortable. There was a lot of looking around, cringing, kind of, you know, making eyes at people next to you. <laughs> um, yeah, it was not the way I wanted to end my evening. Would you go again? Um, I'm not sure. I'm glad I went, but I don't know that I need to do it again. Uh, I think they ought to end the dinner. Yeah. I, I just think they ought to pull the plug and say, um, it used to be a, it used to be a really good evening. Mm. It got to be too much with all the celebrities, mm-hmm. and now it's sort of lost its purpose, lost mm-hmm. its meaning. And, um, and how just, long have they been doing it? You know? uh, I'm not the White House historian, <laughs> um, but a long time. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, back to I. I've, yeah. In fact, George Condon, who is sort of the, the uh-huh. who with um, the Atlantic, uh-huh. is the historian of the White House Correspondents oh, Association, okay. and he's writing a book. Oh, wow. uh, about the association, about covering the White House, and he could tell you exactly okay. to the minute he could tell you <laughs> when the White House correspondences dinners started. Okay. Right. So let's get George on the line. We'll find out. Yeah. Um, uh, let's let's talk a, a little bit of politics here. Uh, particularly, you've been writing about this is you know I remember 1992 they called the year of the woman. This mm-hmm. is really the year of the woman, isn't it? In terms of women running for office, House. City mm-hmm. Council, Board of Supervisors, state legislatures, U.S. Senate across the land. More women than ever before. Absolutely, especially on the Democratic mm-hmm. side, but also somewhat on the Republican side. I've talked to some female Republican strategists who have interestingly said that the example of Trump, of having someone with no prior political experience, kind of opened the floodgates to women to think, never done this before, but hey, if he can do it, I can do it too. Yeah, right. He can do it. I can do it. Yeah. And you say more Democratic women than Republican women are running. Yes. In terms of first time candidates, um, that's largely in part because of groups like Emily's List, you know, who really makes a commitment to recruiting these women and helping them get through primaries and also just natural um, resistance to Trump. You know, we've seen ever since the Women's March that women in particular on the Democratic side have been especially motivated. Mm -hmm. So what does this mean for women in the House? Democratic or Republican. So first, it's important to acknowledge the breakdown here. There's 61 Democratic women in the House, only 22 Republican women. Pretty stark contrast. Yeah, wow. Already, we know that a quarter of that 22 of the Republican women, they are not coming back 
of their own volition. They're either running for higher office, which some would argue is, you know, even better for the party. Someone like Marsha Blackburn, for example, is running for Senate. You've got a number of women running for governor. Um, and some are just deciding not to seek re-election. They're not seeking any higher office. But then you've got another whole... So you lose 25% of them already. Already, before yeah. even 2018 <laughs> hits. <laughs> then you've got another <laughs> class of women um, who are always in competitive races. Someone like uh, Barbara Comstock of Virginia, for example. This year, New York freshman Claudia Tenney is one of our most vulnerable members. Even someone like Utah Republican Mia Love has been a perennial Democratic target. This year, she has a pretty competitive Democratic challenger. So those people look like they could potentially lose. And then of the 16 Republican women who are running for re-election, Democrats are targeting 11 of them. And yes, some of them are in safe Republican seats. Um, but in a blue wave, anything's up for grabs. And of course, there's a caveat that a lot of Democrats uh, in these districts still have competitive primaries to get through. The party might not necessarily have a top recruit in all of these races. But yeah. take someone like Jackie Walorski, for example, in Indiana's second district. That's the northern part of the state, heavy manufacturing, very rural, very conservative. It's actually Joe Donnelly's old seat, another mm -hmm. slightly mm -hmm. contorted version of it. She's potentially facing, if he wins the May 8th primary, a pretty strong Democratic challenger named Mel Hall, a former minister and now businessman who has some personal resources that he can put into this race. Um, we still have it rated as a safe Republican race. But if the national environment really starts to blow in Democrats' favor, she could be someone who could get swept away. Um, another would be Elise Stefanik. Democrats are targeting her seat and Wagner in Missouri. She's been outraised two quarters in a row by her Democratic challenger, um, Kathy McMorris Rogers. There's been a couple of stories about her recently yeah, with polls right. showing a close race in her district. Washington State. Yes. Right? Yep. Yep. So, and she's in the leadership. She is. She's the only woman in leadership in Republican ranks. Right. Um, and um, on, among the 61 Democratic women mm -hmm. running. Yeah, so there's a few. Um, those are the, the current numbers of the House. There are some Democratic women who are not seeking re-election, of course. Um, Vicki Songus from Massachusetts comes to mind. Um, but, of course, the the chances of um, the net number staying the same, I would argue, are potentially higher because there are so many Democratic recruits. Mm -hmm. um, and Democrats, of course, already in the minority, they're look, looking to defend fewer seats and, and making more gains. So the numbers are more in their favor. Right. Um, so... Um in in the Senate, do we have, I mean, a Democrat, I'm just trying to remember, Claire McCaskill, of course, up for re-election. Yep, there's a lot. There's Heidi Heitkamp. Heidi Heitkamp, um, right. Uh, Any of the Democratic women, well, particularly Claire McCaskill is considered but the most vulnerable, maybe, of, among the Democrats. Yeah. She's had a break because of right. the problems with the governor of Missouri and how that reflects on the Republican Party in general. Right. But, and I'd argue of the women, Heitkamp mm -hmm. comes after that. Mm -hmm. um, Debbie Stabenow is a little bit further afield. She's in a safer seat. Um uh, Republican women up for re-election this year? Um, in the Senate, Senate, there's Deb Fisher. She looks fine to me. There's been some noise about her Democratic challenger, but I think that's still a, a pretty tough state for a Democrat to win at the Senate level right, right now. Uh, and overall, uh, the midterms, you know, um, we heard, um, I'm just looking for uh, where those notes were. And anyway, here we go. Uh, we heard Michelle Wolf um, say about Democrats, it looks good for Democrats, <laughs> but they could still blow it. Yeah, they, they she said mess it up. she predicted that the, the Democrats um, will find a way to mess it up. 
they could lose by 12 points to a guy named Joe Pedophile Nazi Doctor. <laughs> that was a good line. Uh, but at any rate, so there's nothing, you certainly can't take anything for granted, particularly when you're talking about the Democratic Party. Um, but what's your take on the possibility of a blue wave um, in the House and maybe even spilling over into the Senate? Yeah, I think things look good for Democrats, especially in the House right now. And, and you're starting to see um, even more so Republicans becoming cognizant of the fact. They might not be saying so publicly when you talk to them on the Hill, but in closed-door meetings that we're hearing about that are being leaked to the press, um, even people like you know Kevin McCarthy, membership, a member of leadership, is saying, come on, guys, you got to get your act together. There's particular concern about older members who have been here for a while who maybe haven't faced a competitive re-election in a long time. Um, so there's the demands of adjusting to a new digitally focused campaign, the pressure to raise money. More than 40 Democratic challengers have outraised Republican incumbents just this last quarter alone. Mm. We've seen similar numbers in the previous quarters. Um, so all of those signs of enthusiasm and energy that a lot of us, myself included, were rather skeptical of um, after the 2016 election They've sustained themselves. Um, and, you know, things always change late 2014, for example. I don't think any of us knew we were going to be talking about Ebola or ISIS the month leading up to the election, really kind of scramble things. There is always room for something like that to happen this year, too. But right now, I would say things look pretty good for Democrats. But the counter that I that I hear often is, yeah, things look kind of good generically. Yes. But when you take this district by district by district, that's different than saying generically, would you prefer mm-hmm. Democrats or Republicans to ha- have the House? Democrats mm-hmm. have an advantage. Maybe it's not double digits anymore, but it's, it's you know, seven points or something like that. But but district by district, it's a different look. Yeah. And that's a really fair point. And that's one reason why Republican consultants are emphasizing to their clients, to members of Congress, you have to run local races. Um, you know, you've got members like a Carlos Corbello, for example, in Florida, who has done a pretty good job carving out a niche, moderate image for himself. He's sitting in district that Hillary Clinton won by at least 10 points, I think. Um, you know, so he's going to rely on his independence as someone who has actually used the impeachment word about President Trump, who has fought climate change, who has um, tried to take somewhat of a stand on DACA. Um, someone else like John Katko in New York, who also is sitting in a Clinton district. These are people who are really relying on their personal brand. And, yeah, they are relying on the fact that they are going to be able to transcend that national generic ballot number and count on the fact that voters in their district are going to say, OK, you know, I, I know him. I know who he is. Uh, not that this is enough to win or lose any election, but do you see 2018 as a referendum on Donald Trump? In a lot of ways, I think it is. I think Democrats are trying to make it about more than that. We've heard a lot of chatter about how they need a message. They need a message. I'm not convinced that they have one yet, but at least they seem to know they need one. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's a recognition that in 2016, running against Trump and trying to tie every Republican incumbent or candidate to Trump was a bad strategy. It just didn't work in some places. Um, And a lot of Democrats in a lot of districts that they need to win recognize that they need Trump voters and that some of these people are lifelong Democrats, but they supported the president for a reason. Um, And it's maybe not such a good idea to try to alienate them by chastising their presidential decision, their choice. Right. Uh, Do you look at governor's races, too? I do not. No. Well, missing half the fun this year. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) you are. 
No, because I wanted to ask you, uh, and uh, but I'll just mention, not that we have to spend any time on it, what's happening in Ohio uh. is fascinating. Mm -hmm. With Richard Cordray, the former head of the Consumer Finance Protection Bureau, running, I think maybe leading in the polls, I'm not mm -hmm. sure, uh, Elizabeth Warren, who came up with the idea for the Consumer Finance right. Protection Bureau in the first place, right. um, out there over the weekend mm -hmm. campaigning for him. Mm -hmm. Uh, and yet he has a primary challenge from Dennis Kucinich, yeah. who is um, about as far left as you can get, <laughs> right? Uh-huh. And, uh, and thinks that Cordray is a, an establishment Democrat, and it's going to be interesting to see yeah. how that plays. And the question Democrats face there is, how far left do you go? Right. Uh, and who would be the stronger candidate right. against I don't know who the Republican nominee is, actually, if, they, if they've decided that yet. Not yet, uh, yeah. In Ohio. Uh, that, that, that's one to watch. Peter, did you see there's a picture of Kucinich uh, in, the, in the paper this morning. When he, as, when he campaigns, you know, he's a vegan. Oh, that's right. I did know that. Yeah. And he carries a bag of vegetables around with you him. You got to do it, man. When he campaigns. You got to do it. Mm -hmm. He's got he's a, a show with a little shopping wow. bag, and he's got... Yeah. You know, I've discussed this before. I did it at one of our podcasts uh, that, that I used to go vegan mm -hmm. for the month of May. Now I just go vegetarian because I, I, I like yogurt and eggs too much. But but that's the thing. you got to prepare yourself. You can't, like, if you go out in the wild without a plan, next thing you know, you're going to be eating a cheeseburger. <laughs> you know what I mean? So you have to carry your own vegetables? Well, I don't carry a bag of vegetables with me necessarily, <laughs> but but I plan ahead. You got a plan. Okay. <laughs> Unless you want to be like a pizza vegetarian, right? <laughs> Where you just like, you don't eat, you eat pizza without meat on it. Pizza vegetarian. It's a thing. Is it? Yeah. Right. Good. I don't want to go near there at all. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. I think you'd be way into it. No, no. <laughs> uh, well, we'll talk governor's races uh, another day, another time with uh, someone who follows who follows us. Um, there was a um, uh, um, an, another little wrinkle in this um in this deciding the cast of characters running and not running this year, when um, Congressman Meehan from Pennsylvania, mm -hmm. who had announced he was not going to run for re-election right. because he had asked one of his assistants to be a surrogate for him. Uh, so he wanted a soulmate. A soulmate. Yes. Oh, that's, that, yes, right. <laughs> yeah, surrogate okay. was Trent Franks. Uh, Trent Franks. Uh, this was yeah, that was soulmate. another scumbag. Oh, yeah, another scumbag. Right. <laughs> Uh, and now he resigned. He is not even going to finish out the year. He's going to resign. What is that? What? What? So yeah. what happens there? They have a special election or what? They will have a special election. Unclear. What? To, for like three months? Yeah, it's going to be a short, short stint. Um, I don't know exactly what it's going to be set. I don't know if, if the governor has decided that Could yet. Could he delay it until November and just have one? one? Uh, it depends on the state, right? In some places that is the yeah. case, that they will actually have the special election will be on the same day as the general election. Mm -hmm. um, but, yeah, this was a really interesting situation. Electorally, it doesn't change all that much. Like you said, we already knew he wasn't going to run. Probably the bigger deal in this district and in the state is that the maps were already scrambled. Um, by a redistricting case, so the seat had already gotten more favorable for Democrats, mm, um, mm. even setting aside the fact that a longtime incumbent who was pretty popular is not running. Because this is Pennsylvania where the court did say Correct. that the, the maps drawn by the legislature right. were gerrymandered. Right. 
Uh, and then they came up with another one. They threw it out. Now they have this these new seats, yes. which do take effect in the fall. They do. Yeah. Right. So the new. So if this were a special election, it would be in the old district, wouldn't it? Uh, that's a really good question. I don't know. I don't know if anybody knows. Yeah, right? that's a really good question. Um, because the Connor Lamb seat at Pennsylvania 18 was right, the old was district. Was the old district. Yeah. And he's going to have to run again. Right. Probably both of them run again in different, in different districts. districts in the fall. Yes. It's yeah. weird. It's wild. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a taste of what 2020 will look like when all these districts. Uh, I mean, everything's so manic anyway, right? Like 20, the 2016 election was crazy. Why wouldn't the 2020 election <laughs> be even crazier? And, and Yeah, and in a couple of states, it really is because of this redistricting. It really has become. Yeah, so, yeah. So it seems to me that the sensible thing to do and the most cost-effective thing to do would be not to have a special election but – Again, to delay everything, have the special right. and the general at the same time in the new district with the new district lines. Right. Boom. And actually, Meehan said when he was announcing his resignation that one of the reasons he was doing it was so that taxpayers wouldn't have to continue footing the bill of a ethics committee investigation. Um, so, you know, will they also foot the bill for a special election? Right. Um, well, that raises a question, too, uh, in terms of issues. Uh, to what extent... The fact that there are so many women running, I think, partially answers the question mm -hmm. of what extent the Me Too movement will have, what impact on the 2018 elections. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's huge. I mean, not just from a numbers perspective, but in terms of tone and the way that we are seeing women talk about their experience. There's a real authenticity that I think um, we haven't really seen before. I mean, we've seen women breastfeeding in, in TV ads. That is not something <laughs> that women would have talked, talked openly about in the past, certainly not in a political ad when you know that you're running up against a pretty much white male club. Um, and so, you know, even if these women, if a lot of them don't win, and of course a lot of them won't win, a lot of them are running against each other in primary. So that's yeah, just a right. reality that sure. we have mm -hmm. to recognize. Um, I think there will have been a tonal shift whether that means that, you know, things are more favorable than in 2020 and beyond, who knows? I don't know the sustaining power, but there's definitely be a, a change in discussion. Right. Um, and the latest, uh, not that this is your beat either, but the latest uh, kind of name to surface on this is a uh, man that we all revered as our sort of outstanding, the most outstanding journalist in the country, Tom Brokaw, mm. suddenly. Mm -hmm. uh, with allegations by two women that mm -hmm. way back 20 or 25 or 30 years ago, whatever, right. he acted inappropriately toward them. Right. Uh, it was interesting that 60-some women, yeah. including Andrea Mitchell and Rachel Maddow from NBC and MSNBC, mm -hmm. uh, signed a letter uh, in, de in defense, defending him, right. defending him right. um, basically saying BS on the two women who were... Right. Uh, uh, and, and, and broke all... Admits that he might have been, I think, interested in one of them, but that he never did anything yeah. beyond expressing that interest. I don't know. Would you have signed that letter? Oh, gosh, I don't know. I have never met the man, so I can't say. I think and you never are, worked with him. So, no, yeah. but these are where these cases get wishy-washy. I mean, you know, just because something didn't happen to you and you don't have personal experience, does that give you the right to d deny someone else's experience? It's hard, hard to say, you know. I, I don't know what I would have done. Um, uh, do, you, do you believe the Al Franken um, dismissal was appropriate? Because um, um, there are a lot of women who who are pissed off at their fellow women. Yeah, it's for been going interesting to see Franken, um, the party shift gears on that after the Alabama election. I think there was a lot of talk, not necessarily 
um, wrong that, you know, that the Democratic Party wanted to come out united and strongly against having um, someone like that as a member of their caucus. And, you know, it looked particularly good for them to do that before a special election. when You had Roy Moore winning. You've seen some of su- the support for ousting Frank and I think has dissipated since that has been over. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I share that. I think that was a, a, a step too far that, you know, not n- n- without denying the Me Too movement, I mean, you have to make some distinctions between not, not everybody's a Roy Moore, not everybody's a Bill O'Reilly. Always good to see you, Simon. Thank Thanks you. so much for coming Thanks in. For and you can follow Simon at Roll Call. It is, what's the website? Roll Call. Rollcall.com. Rollcall.com. Easy as that. Yeah. Have a great Monday. This Come back and see us tomorrow. We'll be looking Press for you. Show.